0: Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing really good, man. Had a fun weekend uh, camping with the family. It's We had like a 75-degree weekend in the mountains here. So kind nice. of Friday afternoon. Like, man, let's jump in the trailer and go up camping and have some fun. So yeah, my little guy's um, Joey. He's you know, one and a half now and just loves to fish. I got him this little uh, um, from Winnie the Pooh Tigger uh, fishing pole. Great. Right. <laughs> I cast it out there and he'll literally just hold on to the pole and uh, like just sit there and hold on. Like it's the only time he sits still ever. And he'll sit there for 20 minutes, just watching the pole. And, you know, we caught, uh, he actually caught a fish. We were fishing this little tiny kind of pond slash lake up in the mountains. And, you know, he's reeling it in, reeling it in. And all of a sudden he sees the, the fish flap on top of the water and he just starts yelling. Oh, uh, that's cool. <laughs> so Freaking cool. He's just like, ah, yeah. Uh, and then of course get the fish up, and he's got to like touch it, and just so uh, you know, my daughter's doing that now, where she's enjoying that stuff. But at one and a half, I don't think she would have had any interest in that, you know. So it's yeah. so funny the difference between the two. But right, yeah, it was a great weekend.
0: So yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I was outside, but it was just at the ball field. My son had a couple games and fall balls wrapping up and things like that. Uh, it's fun though, man. It's uh, I dude, this is like. I I am never happy when September's over by any means. Um, like I already miss, you know, I want to be back out there with my bow and chasing screaming elk. And obviously we have our rifle hunt coming up, which I'm excited about. But through this time of year is like the absolute best for sure. Weather, hunting, just all kinds of stuff's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, man. Well, let's uh, we're kind of back to hitting some listener questions, which it feels like a while um, since we've done that just from the chaos of September and everything. But this Monday minute, we'll hit some listener questions. Um, our elk hunt is actually next week. So we'll, we maybe head on a few things in uh, this episode about that, but if you guys have any questions about um, maybe what we're doing for that hunt or anything else coming up, feel free to drop us a question about that as well. We can hit that on a future episode. And you can just email podcast at exomountaingear.com for that. But a recent question um, when we were recapping our uh, archery hunts, Steve basically had a question um, that was directed to me saying that uh, I said I went in with a 29 pound pack for four days. He was wondering if that included weapon and water. He said, that's just amazing, amazingly light. And I'd love to see a pack dump of that. I think I have purchased fairly ultralight stuff and I'm lucky to get my pack under 40 pounds with water weapon and optics. Um, So just to clarify there uh, 29 pounds was everything except water. Um, I had my trekking poles on my pack. I had the water container. It was like food, fuel, all that. Um, I just, at the point when I had weighed it, I hadn't filled up with water yet. So um, it would have been, you know, over 30 with water. And then this guy also mentioned he's lucky to get under 40 pounds with weapon and optics, which I would say is still going to be light. I was not carrying optics, um, meaning like tripod spotter, anything like that for this hunt, just because the country I'm in, it's it's not needed. Um, and then I didn't have my bow strapped on either. So that's one of the things just to bring up, like if you're talking pack weight, you always have to throw out some clarifiers of, okay, well, that's pack weight, but what? Um, he said something about a pack dump. I do, I didn't do one this year, and I, it would, I think I'm going to do one after a rifle hunt and then maybe even compare my archery gear versus rifle hunt and how that changes. Uh, but I do have one out there that's, uh, I guess, from two years ago, but honestly still relevant because I'm using a lot of the same gear that you can see on the EXO site. Um, and it's an 18 pound gear list and that is as we've talked about before steve like a lot of times when we talk about base pack weight we're talking all of the gear but not food fuel and water because those are the things that are gonna that are gonna change right like whether you're going three days or seven days your base pack weight can be 18 pounds and then your total pack weight is gonna vary based on how much you know food you're carrying for example so um yeah i mean if this guy's Forty pounds for four days, and that includes him carrying decent optics setup and his weapon. That's that's still solid for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I it, said I never do. Um, yeah, base pack weight is like you said. I, I I guess I have a fuel in there, but that's just because a a full small jet boil canister is going to last. You know, I'm taking that same canister whether it's a a two day trip or a seven day trip, so that doesn't vary really for me. Um, and then yeah food and water are the two variables so um you know obviously food it just the math becomes really easy to do on food and then water wise it's just you know sometimes i have zero sometimes i have you know 10 pounds of water in the pack depending on the the hunt and how dry it is where we're at so just don't have that in the the base weight and it just it's not an apples to apples thing some guys have uh you know use two nalgene bottles some guys use a two liter bladder some guys use a three liter bladder so i think it's not a relevant one to put into like base pack weight
0: yeah i ditched the bladder on my archery elk hunt this year steve what i know you're freaking sacrilegious man <laughs> <laughs> i don't know dude hunting alaska last year freaking spoiled me like because we were just oh. last year in alaska i was taking the nalgene and awesome. just filling up out of water sources and not even filtering Um, and it was so nice on those hunts, not to deal, not only with filtering, but honestly not to deal with a bladder, like with filling it up with knowing how much water I had. And so going into this archery hunt, I was like, I'm going to try the bottle for, you know, the first few days here when we're packing in and see how much I hate it or how much, you know, it had been a while since (laughs) I had relied on one exclusively for a multi-day hunt anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just flat out didn't pack a bladder and I ended up doing that the whole trip. It's, I was packing the, um, the larger Nalgene, the tall one, I think it's 48 ounces. And then they have, um, I think it's HDPE. Um, it's like a softer Nalgene compared to the uh, the more plastic, like rigid plastic ones that most guys are familiar with. And it's a bit lighter. Huh. Um, and carrying that, like that's a, I was, so I was carrying that and a one liter collapsible platypus, um, which I was using for like flavor drinks if I was dropping in like a noon tab or something like that. So I had, I think it's a 48 ounce Nalgene plus a one liter platypus plus my dirty um, platypus. So I could still carry, you know, three or four liters of water if I wanted to um, mm-hmm. and just rely on that. I definitely noticed that... Um, because I didn't have a bladder and a bite valve right there hanging off my shoulder, I was drinking water, not as often, just cause it's not as convenient to take a quick sip when you got to pull a bottle out. Um, mm-hmm. and so when we were, when we were like humping it, I'd have to be conscious of making sure I pulled the water out. And so I was, I would say I was drinking water less often, but making sure I still did it, you know, in higher quantities. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I would say for me that's one thing I have to be intentional of is not getting behind on hydration if I'm just carrying a bottle because it's kinda easy to ignore it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But
0: I don't know, man. I might I don't know. I'm still not like gonna stare pin it, I don't think, but I might stick with the bottle for a bit. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um some dry country and you'll change your mind.
0: Yeah, right. We had a question uh, from someone who wrote in and says, I've always been a rifle hunter, but hearing you guys talk about bow hunting has piqued my interest. How do you guys know what a good bow is, and, there, and is there one that's more affordable than all of the cool $1,000 bows out there? Any recommendations you guys have? Um, so getting started on a budget is definitely doable. Um, you don't have to, and I would suggest that you don't spend high dollar on a bow. Um, until you have shot bows and you kind of know what you want Um, we did an episode number 174 that was a budget bow build where we literally went through uh, Garrett Weaver was on the show he was our guest for that one he did this project he basically took $500 and went from nothing to completely ready to hunt so not only bow but outfitted bow with sight um, quiver rest all that stuff for 500 bucks so that was episode 174 it has some good information, not on just what he did, but kind of thinking through those decisions. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, a hundred percent don't feel like you got to go buy a brand new bow and spend a thousand or more on a bare bow. Um, especially when you're just starting, um, use bows, you know, they're good deals. Um, a guy buys a brand new bow for a thousand bucks this year and you can buy it in two years for, I don't, I don't shop use bows. Probably what Steve, Six hundred bucks
1: or something like that. Yeah, it's a two, three year old bow is going to go not quite half in value, but close. Um, yeah, it's just to me, it's definitely like bows have advanced over the last ten years. But I, I if you handed me a ten year old bow, um, I'd shoot that in a heartbeat, right? Like yeah. if that was the, what the budget allowed. It, accuracy wise, um, you're not gaining anything. Uh, it's purely just kind of draw cycle. and the the speed that you're getting for for the energy that you pulled out of it right Mm. um those have improved slightly you're talking like five percent efficiencies though it's not a huge difference so like my dad i built him a kind of a custom elite bow probably 10 11 years ago now um it was like a elite z28 and i'd shoot that thing again in a heartbeat that's a fantastic bow it Mm. shot over 300 feet per second i mean smooth quiet like I don't think there's any downside to shooting an older bow, uh, just not the latest and greatest. But they said the, <laughs> the old version is, uh, you know, five to 10 percent worse at the at, at most. So,
0: yeah. 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 My buddy, Jared, I was out uh, hunting with last month. He's shooting a bow that I had shot a lot in years past. I think it was the is it the Energy 35 Steve from Elite? Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? Yeah. um and i freaking love that bow and then i was sitting there you know hunting with him and he still has it from back then i thought i bet i could get online and pick one of those up for probably 350 bucks or something and it's Uh a killer freaking bow made me want to do it um (laughs) in fact i might i might start looking for one because that was a sick bow Yeah.
1: yeah
0: all right so yeah that was episode 174 on the budget bow build if you guys want to go back and check that out um apparently it's been too long since we've talked boots steve um we we (laughs) overdosed me ranting anymore (laughs) we overdosed on boots um this spring for sure but we had some more questions um specifically about the quest for d versus the technica forge um this guy was basically saying that He started off with full leather stiff boots um, as that was his perception of what was needed for hunting in the mountains. Um, But he basically figured out that those don't work for him. So he has um, some experience with the Quest 4Ds. He's heard us talk about the technique of forge and he wanted to know if we could compare those two uh, on both fit and feel as well as durability and waterproofness. Um, Yeah, I was so tired of testing boots and thinking about boots that going into this hunting season, I was like, I'm just going back to my first love. I'm going to the Quest 4Ds. I'm an idiot for trying all these other boots and spending way too much time trying other boots when the Quest 4Ds just fit my feet so good and they're so comfortable. Um, You know, thinking back to like when we did our 100 mile death hike, I literally did those without, I did that hike and those boots without a blister, without a problem, Like I'm such a moron for thinking I should try other boots. Uh, That's how I felt before the hunt. And then after the hunt, I came back and I was like, God, there's gotta be something better out there Um, (laughs) because they are like, they're so comfortable. I had zero discomfort or issues uh, this past September, but like literally over the course of a hunt, like I can just watch those things start wearing away. Um, So durability and waterproofness just isn't great. So this guy's asking about, comparing those specifically to the technicas and the technicas for sure are more durable and more waterproof i uh, steve i think you've even said like the technicas to you were one of the best built boots you've you've handled essentially. They,
1: yes from like a when i yeah from a design how they're put together i mean i think they're one of the highest quality boots i've ever seen absolutely yeah um yeah just didn't quite mesh with my feet um And I think I would have given them more of a try, but the, as we talked about the tread in, in, you know, slick conditions is just abysmal. Um, they're great on dry rock, hard pack stuff, but if it's wet snow, um, man, they're terrible.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the only downside I'd say about them and it's not like kind of bad. It's really bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) really bad. Um, If you're going to wear those technicas, as you said, in any sort of like wet conditions or snow conditions, I just, I wouldn't wear them without something like micro spikes um, or something to go over them, Um, especially snow. Like it's, they're truly terrible. Aside from that, as you just said, they're incredibly constructed, incredibly well. They've been very waterproof. If they fit your feet well, they're an outstanding boot aside from traction. Um, Yeah, so... I would say for me, the quests are more comfortable. Um, they're just less fussy in every way. It doesn't matter what sock I wear with them. It doesn't matter if it's hot or cold. Like they're just, they just, they're less fussy except for they just don't last. Um, so yeah, Steve, I know, uh, you know, this guy was asking about Quest versus technical, which we hit, but like what else? Cause you, you didn't stop the boot train. Uh, it's full steam ahead. No, you're, every yeah. time I talk to you, you're trying a new boot. So, any other geekery, I'm um, gonna share.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll say, uh, for this guy, and I just recommend to a buddy of mine, and I wore them on my recent Elkhunt, the La Sportiva Nucleo High. Um, man, they're on, they're like $199 normally. I saw, I Googled it when I sent him the link, and it was like, on sale at REI for 150 bucks. Um, they are a really good boot that I think uh, they're very much like a quest, a little bit softer, definitely lighter. Uh, I don't see any indication of durability issues yet. And they have um, what's called Gore-Tex surround. And it's uh, basically it's a full Gore-Tex booty. So top, bottom and sides. Uh, and there's actually something that in the surround technology that, allows air to come in and out through kind of the bottom of the foot uh, for just the the best breathability possible. But what I think that does, and, and to make it waterproof, is it's it the more critical aspect is that's a full Gore-Tex booty, like the entire lining's Gore-Tex. In um, fact, prior to this podcast, I said, I really want to get someone on here from Gore-Tex to talk about like what to look for. And I, I'm not Frankly, I'm not sure if they would do the podcast with us because it's gonna be like clearly there's some boots with a Gore-Tex label on it, i.e. Solomon's that just flat out aren't waterproof. So is it Gore-Tex's fault or is it the construction's fault and who's liable for it? <laughs> like that's what I want to get to because it's it's just frustrating. Like, uh, and what is my question is what is the um standard of waterproofing that we should be looking for? Uh like my test has simply been I got a little Kitty pool in the backyard and my daughter and son swim in I fill it up with three inches of water and go stand in there and if you can stand in there for 30 seconds and not have water come in I think it's a pretty good indication that you know they're going to be waterproof out there in the field at least initially that's what kind of happened with me on those Loa uh, inox that I took up to um, Alaska on the sheep hunt they I could stand out in that kiddie pool forever and then once I got out in the field I don't know if it is abrasion on the inside of the foot I don't know if it's like dirt getting into the shoe, getting into the Gore-Tex lining that causes leaks. But after a couple of days, they started leaking pretty bad on me. Um, so I'd love to get someone from Gore-Tex here and just start like, you know, really picking their brain on what you can not can't do. And, uh, and a lot of people don't know that um, Gore-Tex has a one-year warranty. If it's got that Gore-Tex tag on it and it leaks on you, you can send that back to them. You file a claim and send it back to them. And if they leak, they'll, they'll give you a credit for the shoes or, a car a gift card or something to the, you know, place you bought them from. I'm not sure how that works, but um so Gore-Tex stands behind it and that's what's interesting to me is clearly there's, you know, Solomons leak like crazy. I don't know anybody that's had a pair that doesn't leak on them immediately. Um and then other shoes, you know, other uh, kind of nicer high-end boots seem to last for years with the Gore-Tex lining. So what's the difference? But um going back to yeah, the Sportiva Nucleo High, it's a really solid boot. Uh, early season, uh, lightweights, great choice. Um, the one boot that uh, I've been trying because I'm still looking for that. You know, when you coming out here in two weeks. Um, granted, it was 75 degrees this weekend, but it could absolutely have a foot of snow on the ground and be five degrees. I still need a late season, you know, backpacking for three, four, five days, and you know, in a foot of snow, super cold tent boot. Um, so the the latest one I've been trying is that uh, Hanvog Alverstone and my initial impressions wasn't like the, the, again, build quality, fantastic. Um, but I wasn't, they just didn't quite feel right on my foot. Um, but I kind of did a few little training hikes in them. And as they started to break in um, man, I've been really, really impressed with them. I haven't done. Um, I don't want to, I don't even want to give a review yet. Cause right. Cause I haven't really gotten up in the mountains with them and been off trail, but Worn them around warm to the office a couple of days uh, i've done a few little five mile hikes here and there with weighted packs uh and on trail they feel really good so that's a, they at least got a good start going for them um but uh yeah i don't i wish i'm still searching for the the perfect um boot you know it's got to exist for my foot somewhere
0: Yeah, know <laughs> i could tell you like those Hanvogs more you used them because at first you told me about them like yeah i think i'll send them to you and then i talked to you like three or four days later and you're like yeah, those Hanvogs. I'm gonna keep using those. <laughs> I was like, oh, apparently you're liking them better.
1: Yeah, so. yeah no, they definitely. They they had a different. Oh man, I think it's called the Tatra Light. Um, uh, and I tried that one, and it did. It was just doesn't work for me. It's too. They kind of, uh, kind of got a narrow foot box on that one, and it like cuts in towards my, you know, cuts in from the outside towards your big toe. Uh, and just so like my, my small toe, the outside of my foot just rubbed into that too much. And I don't see, sometimes you can deal like the Oliver stones were a little tight there, but kind of softened up. And I could tell those ones were, uh, just the shape in general, wasn't going to, you know, work well with my foot over time. So.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, we had another question just cause it's a uh, rifle season timely. Um, this guy's hunting in Nebraska and Wisconsin, Currently for whitetail and mule deer, he has plans to go out west in the next year or two for elk as well and other mule deer trips. He's shooting a 300 wind mag and right now he's shooting the 200 grain ELDX. Um, He says they shoot very well in his rifle. He doesn't know if he should go with something lighter and flatter shooting, more designed for whitetail mule deer, and then shoot a different heavier bullet for elk. Or should he just focus on one, get very proficient with it, and then not need to recite in for different loads? Um, And he says at this point, he plans on staying with his current setup unless there is a good reason to change. There's a few things in there that I thought that was interesting. One is um, he hit on this idea of sticking with one bullet and getting proficient with it. The bullet you know and the load that you're shooting in for context as I guy, is I confirm this guy's just shooting factory stuff like it's not going to change your proficiency with that rifle per se if if you have two different loads that shoot accurate out of that rifle it's you and the rifle um you being proficient is a matter of you know position and trigger control and all that stuff so shooting one rifle I would say is a great thing Um, and you can be very proficient with that one rifle, but I wouldn't be too concerned about necessarily changing loads. The only thing that would vary there is if you change the loads, you now have potentially two different um, trajectories or ballistics uh, to keep in mind. Um, Meaning if you're shooting like say a 180 grain, whatever, versus this 200 grain ELDX, you're going to have two different trajectories to some extent. I wouldn't be afraid of that because I would also say it sounds like he's coming, you know, from Nebraska and Wisconsin, potentially hunting elk. He can't just rely on, memorize his trajectory, even for that 200 grain ELDX, and then assume that that information is going to be accurate on an elk hunt at 7,000 feet, for example. So that's all going to change anyway. Um, So I wouldn't be too concerned about shooting two different loads, potentially Wouldn't be concerned about residing in. Um, I don't see really any downsides if that's the way you want to go. I would say obviously there is always a benefit to keeping things simple and sticking with one option. Um, One of the the things that stuck out to me is shooting this 200 grain ELDX is trying to then match that roughly um, to practice ammo, right? So is there ammunition out there that is going to be roughly equivalent in terms of ballistics and trajectory that you can still practice with and have it be somewhat relevant would be an interesting question. And then, you you know, sorry. What do you mean by that? Like, uh, I just mean, yeah. So like if, if he's wanting to, you know, go beyond just which many hunters still do if he's wanting to go beyond the just oh let me check my zero and then i'm good like if he's truly wanting to practice um it would be good to have a cheaper ammunition offering that can somewhat fly the same way or roughly Mm. that his hunting ammunition does or at least close right so you take like a 200 grain eldx it's not like 200 grains which is you know relatively heavy Um, it's also going to have a pretty high BC, um, things like that. So it's like, well, can you really replicate that with practice ammo? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you can get close enough. It's worth, you know, at least looking at and considering, um, would be my thought. Hmm. The other thing, um, yeah, is just choosing the LDX. Like if it's great in his rifle, I don't, I mean, he's not going to have any problem using that for. White-tail mule deer, elk, I don't think, um, you know, you can obviously get into the debate on shot placement, making sure that's relevant for that style of bullet versus something that's, you know, more heavily construction, um, that type of deal. So it's just, there, you know, there's nuance to there. I don't think there's one right answer. It just, to me, it sounded like he was a little bit, uh, not afraid, but hesitant to change loads. And I would say, don't be too scared of that. Um, but at the same time, I think there's huge benefits to just keeping it simple, right? Um, and then I would just do, you know, I haven't researched the ELDX or the 200 grain for elk, but I know that if I was in a lighter, um, category of the ELDX, I would be more apprehensive about using it on elk. Right. So you get down into, um, the six fives and things like that, you know, an ELDX would not be my first choice, but maybe in the 200 grain, um, you know, it has, it has plenty, um, Plenty of, uh, I almost said authority, that's the wrong word. Plenty of uh, construction, you know, to where it's going to hold up to elk. I haven't, you know, researched that at that 200 grain for ELDX for sure. So, what are you going with for uh, for elk, Steve, for this upcoming hunt?
1: Uh, I'll be running the 127 grain barns out of my PRC. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd like to, I really want to get time to dial in those hammers, but just just... Timing of everything, there's just no way I was going to be able to to get that load developed and ready for this elk. So, I I had some of those on hand that I bought early on for testing and went with the ELDX early on when I was originally building that for like deer and stuff like that. But, uh, I said I I don't, not that 143 grain for elk, not my first choice for sure. So, I went with the more solid, the copper construction of the barns, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're flying fantastic. I was just shot a nice, tight little one inch group at 300 yards, uh, the other day. And I couldn't have been more happy with that. So, yeah. Heck yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. The other thing I, I thought was interesting, his question too, cause he was asking, should he shoot something quote lighter and flatter shooting, um, for whitetail mule deer. I I don't think, you know, for the most part, it's going to matter probably, especially for like the ranges he's shooting at again, I'm making assumptions here, but like take Wisconsin, for example, um, It's not going to be super long range stuff. And then even still, I I mean, I just, these days with um, accurate range finding, I wouldn't say that a lighter, flatter bullet doesn't matter, but I just think it matters way less uh, than it used to, right? Guys were trying to compensate for unknown ranges and things like that with a lighter, flatter shooting bullet. And again, it still matters, but I just, I wouldn't like chase that um, at the expense of other things for sure. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, yeah, I think he can stick with a 200 grain ELDX and get it all done if he wants to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have any hesitation. That's that'd be my recommendation. If it's flying good for him and, uh, it's confident in it. And yeah, it's, that'd be perfect for Alcotton, So Yeah.
0: Awesome. Steve, there's, uh, more questions. We'll save those for another day. Uh, listeners always appreciate them. You can always send any question into podcast at dot We'll be sure to uh, chat through those on an upcoming episode. Steve, it's almost time to go chase elk with a rifle, man.
1: Oh, well, you're, gosh, we're a week and a day from you coming out here. So, yeah, game on. Let's do it. Any last minute um, fitness things you're doing? You pretty well dialed in, or
0: I guess um, you just came off
1: your cut in Colorado. Or, yeah, anything, I don't know. Just kinda,
0: yeah, yeah kind of. I'm not taking it easy, but just not, I'm not being doing anything super strategic right now. Um, I was like semi debating, like I just came out of that hunt from Colorado light. Um I was like 187-ish on average, like consistently for most of this year. Um, and then I came out of that hunt and I've just since the hunt have been like 181, 182, so down like five or six pounds. Mm. Um and I'm hoping that doesn't make me super cold <laughs> or too light. Like in the in the past when I've been that light, I've felt kind of like fragile. Um kind of frail. Like I know it sounds funny because it's only five or six pounds, but I guess I just know my body well enough to like tell the difference. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel that way right now. Um, but no I've been I've been still wanting to hike two times a week, um, basically between these hunts, but not go super hard just cause it's like, even that hunt alone, like I came out with great hiking fitness. Um, so I hike a couple times a week just to kind of keep maintenance. And then just, I've been doing a lot of like stuff that works on, um, my midsection, you know, like back, lower back stuff. Um, just try to make sure I'm like healthy. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, nothing too crazy. I don't want to hurt myself. Don't want to go, you know, try and be a fitness superstar in three weeks between hunts, but just kind of keep things going, stay moving, and keep it up. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, guys, we'll chat soon. We'll catch you next time, and thanks for tuning in. Sweet.